Well, if you want to motivate someone to do something, one of the best ways is to tell them that they cannot do it, that it's not possible, and that they'll never get it done. Hi, everybody. I'm Bill Schaefer with Mark Middleton, and on this episode of Growing Bolder, we're going to see how a little bit of reverse psychology can go a pretty long way in helping someone dig deep to accomplish something significant and meaningful. Yeah, if you want to meet a real character, folks, in the next hour you will meet someone who was a successful businessman by the time he was in high school and how against all odds his doors are still open today, over 50 years later. His South Florida fruit stand has become a destination for many who would never have believed that selling fruit could be so cool. And then, who is the greatest college basketball coach of all time? Well, with all due respect to Mike Krzyzewski and others, I think most would agree it's John Wooden. Before his passing in 2010, he came on Growing Boulder's radio show to share what he had learned about life. And, you know, folks, it's just as relevant today as it was back then. But first up, it's Travis and Mark Macy, a father and son who spent a lifetime together participating in, competing in grueling endurance races, and now they face their greatest challenge ever, and they're facing it together. It's a fight against Alzheimer's. Ordinary people, extraordinary lives. It's time for Growing Bolder. Travis Macy is a speaker, he's an author, he's a coach, he's a professional endurance athlete. Uh, and folks, this is a guy who has won 120 ultra endurance races in 17 countries. And I got to tell you, he came by it naturally because his father, Mark Macy, or Mace, as he's called by everybody, is a retired trial attorney and a pioneering endurance racer, one of the very few who has completed all eight of the influential eco challenge races from 1995 all the way through 2002 and their inspiring example helped expand the boundaries of possibility for all of us whether we are athletes or not Uh, but here's really where the story gets interesting and even more powerful than that that's when mace uh, at the age of 64 was diagnosed with early onset alzheimer's a devastating diagnosis uh, that totally rocked their world but how they've handled it the choices that they've made, the things they've done, the example that they have set, despite increasingly difficult challenges, is nothing short of remarkable. It is a fascinating story that is well told in a new book that they have co-written called A Mile at a Time. So let's find out more. Joining us from their homes in Colorado, a father and son who have raced together thousands of miles through jungles and deserts, but now unexpectedly out of the blue they're taking their most formidable challenge ever travis and mace macy guys how you doing today yeah doing well mark yeah you're you're looking good and travis let me start with you i honestly i could not admire any more the way that mace is leaning into this challenge or or the way that you are supporting encouraging and enabling him Uh, it's been about four years since the initial diagnosis and i know guys it can be different every single day how are things today you know i'd I'd say pretty good i mean we are taking it uh, as the book says a, a mile at a time and and that's the way that you have to do it um you know, compared to the initial, uh, you know, the initial doctor's advice that, that maybe you got 
two more good years, uh, I'd, I'd say dad's way ahead of that. And, and that's really a tribute to, uh, to his perseverance, to the, the support and, and teamwork, uh, that, you know, he has day to day with, with my mom, Pam, and, um, you know, we're, we're staying engaged. We have a team where we're dad and I are having fun doing stuff like this together and having, uh, you know, some professional endeavors, whether it's our podcast or working on this book or, you know, going out and doing the races and treks and stuff that we enjoy. Um, Yes, things are hard and there are a lot of limitations, but there are still a lot of strengths. And dad is the same guy he's ever been. Uh, We have fun together. He's got humor. He's a great dad and a great grandfather to to five little kids. And we're we're really focusing on those strengths and staying in the present. You know, you are doing, I, I know you know the important work that you both are doing to help destigmatize this diagnosis, which, which certainly is, is nothing that anybody wants. But so few people, Mace, are willing to talk about this. After the diagnosis uh, in 2018, Mace, how long did it take you to realize that you were not going to go quietly into the good night, that you were going to lean into this? Well, I don't know when I made that, you know, when I you know, thought of that even, but I'll tell you right now, I'm not going anywhere. You know, I'm, I'm happy. I'm, I'm, you know, perfectly well and, and, you know, I'm going to keep at it and I'm not going to quit. You know, you guys are doing more than keeping at it because, uh, you know, as you document in, in the book and what a fascinating story that it is. One of the first decisions that you guys made together is that you would compete together on the same team in what is branded, at least, as the world's toughest race, the Eco Challenge in Fiji. Uh, did people think you were crazy at the time, guys, when you told them you were going to do it? I, I think uh, a, a lot of people tell anyone they're crazy for doing the world's toughest race. And, uh, you know, we knew, yes, there is absolutely an elevated level of risk to go out there with, with your fifth teammate on the course, you know, is, is this unknown teammate called Alzheimer's and we had no idea what the hell was going to happen. Uh, so there is risk to that, but we also realized Mark, and I think that probably you and the growing Boulder audience can relate to this. There's also a risk of just kind of throwing in the towel and saying, Hey, you know, we're, we're done with this. Or, you know, these, these stories that get in our head or, you know, I'm too old or I got this diagnosis or, you know, whatever we kind of realized like, this is really important to us. And this is an opportunity that, that may not come back. So let's go out there and try it. You know, I, I love that. And, and Mace, I want to ask you about it. But first, if I may, since you brought it up, Travis, uh, I actually coincidentally spoke at a caregiving conference yesterday. Uh, mm-hmm. And my topic, for the most part, was about the importance of autonomy and the dignity mm-hmm. uh, of risk. Uh, and as we all know, risk is actually defined as the chance that something might occur different than what we expect. And healthcare professionals uh, in particular, and, and, and most of us in general, only consider negative risk, concentrating on the bad that might happen. But there is also positive risk, the chance that something better than expected uh, might happen. And that is the risk that you guys uh, embraced. And Mace, I know that you know doctors probably advised against this. I, I read in the book, there was no history for someone diagnosed with Alzheimer's to compete in anything near this uh, and that the risk of infection, uh, the risk of losing uh, sleep could actually exacerbate 
uh, the condition, accelerate the cognitive decline. And yet you said, yes, I'm gone. Why did you do that? Well, I got to tell you, I didn't ask anybody if there was any risk or not. I just did. (laughs) (laughs) I I asked some people that. (laughs) Why would I ask anybody? Because they probably would say, don't do it. So I didn't ask anybody. So you are, I, and I love this about you because uh, you, you, you're pioneers. You know, this is the kind of stuff we need to learn. And growing bolder, uh, we, we're, we're the official media partners of the National Senior Games just because I love to try to figure out how 100. I was in, in Louisiana in December watching a 105-year-old become the oldest female to ever compete in a sanctioned track and field event. And I wanted to know what we can learn from her. You guys are doing something that probably no one diagnosed with Alzheimer's has ever attempted to do. Uh, and we're going to learn from you. I mean, this is an incredible legacy, what you guys are doing. So, so, so tell me, what are you doing? How are you staying active? Do you run once a week, twice a week? What's your schedule, Mace? I run every day. And every day? I, day. I, at, least, at least once a day and frequently twice a day. And I'm not going to stop. And Travis, I read in your book, I'm going to quote your book because I love it. You know, someone sent me a copy of it uh, and I reached out to Travis immediately and and I was blown away. I get a lot of books sent to me and, you know, I'll read the the, the forward or the preface just so I can say I did. I told my wife I couldn't put it down. It's extremely well written. It's a tremendous story. It's very inspiring. And you write in there at some point as fast as we can, as slow as we must. And, and is that pretty much how you describe what you do every day? Yeah, I'd say so. I, I mean, you know, when you're dealing with, with Alzheimer's or, or really aging, right, all of us, uh, especially, you know, those of us who've been athletes for a long time, like we're slowing down and we're, we're trying to slow down less. And I've really realized with this Alzheimer's journey, you know, it's it's one step at a time and, you know, Dad and I are even we're learning new ways of uh, of communicating with each other and, and new it, our our relationship is uh, is changing and is is different and, and and it's great though it's it's okay you know that's something that at, at first when this news came you know that that Dad at age sixty four gets this diagnosis you know that that hits you hard it, it hit me really hard and that's another thing through the Alzheimer's community when I've connected with other kids and people with Alzheimer's it's a it's a tough spot um, to be in, but when I've taken it a day, day at a time, when I've learned to grow into a new role and, and to just accept, uh, accept things as they are, um, you know, dad and I did a, uh, we've loved these races in Leadville for a long time. You know, dad's favorite race probably was a Leadville 100 run. And maybe that's not a good fit anymore, but dad and I went out this year and we did the, the heavy half marathon at Leadville together. And it's still a big challenge. You start in Leadville at 10,000 feet, you go up to mosquito pass at almost 13,000 feet and you come back down. And, and for us as a team this year, that was a good, big challenge. And we had fun and we were tired at the end, but uh, the grandkids got to come out. We got to be with the community. It was a fun time. You know, Mace, you said, earlier in this uh, discussion that uh, you're having fun, you're enjoying your life. I can't tell you how powerful that message is for people who fear a diagnosis. And obviously it's not something any of us want, but to know, and we say this all the time, guys, you know, 
Growing Boulder loves to say that uh, it's never too late to make the rest of your life the best of your life, no matter what. And, you know, that may be a little Pollyanna-ish, but, but I think we've learned from, you know, even people in the most advanced stages uh, of cognitive decline still have the ability to extract moments of joy from life. They still have the ability to experience love. They still have the ability to live in the moment. And I think that's what we're all trying to do. Uh, so how hard has it been for you, Mace, to adjust to this condition and to continue to extract the, these moments of joy? Well, it hasn't been difficult at all for me. Maybe I'm just a lucky guy, you know, I probably am. But, you know, life is great for me. I'm happy with everything. I got, you know, great wife, great kids, little kids. We got, I've got everything. I got everything I need and everything I want. Having family to care about you, to care for you. And, and Travis, you really are. I mean, you're kind of, you're on the cutting edge of, uh, of a major trend for better, or for worse in our country, you know, 10,000 of us are turning 70 each and every day. And statistics say that by the time we're 85, 50% of us will have some amount of cognitive decline. Uh, you're a caregiver uh, in, in some extent, not a role that you prepared for or planned for. What have you learned about caring for someone? Yeah, I've, I've learned a lot, Mark. And I, I love, you know, you said you were speaking to caregivers recently. That's, that's just so important. And, you know, really the the key person on on our team, and probably the main thing I've learned is just just that word team. Life's a team sport, and, and you know, adventure racing that we do in Fiji, that's a team sport, and it's the same thing that you do in life. You know, really, um, my mom Pam is is the captain of our team. You know, she she's the one who's day to day just leading the show, and you know, not only organizing things for for her own life, but but supporting dad. Uh, in all those ways. So, you know, she's the key person for us. And and I think you're right, Mark, that more and more, there, there's going to be more Americans and more people around the world who maybe at an earlier stage of life um, are, are put in this role. It's, it's a hard place to be. It's not anything anyone has asked for. For me, uh, seeing the greater team in the Alzheimer's community has been huge. Connecting with other people, sharing the story, just like you said, Mark, not keeping it quiet, but realizing, you know, hey, this is something we can navigate together. Um, I've done a lot of work recently with a, a nonprofit called Mind What Matters, and they're really focused on the next generation of caregivers. They give out grants, uh, you know, to people who need support. And that's been huge. It's been really fulfilling. And, um, you know, our family is so fortunate to be close, to be on the same page, to have honestly solid financial resources. You know, I know a lot of people out there might be hearing this and maybe you feel disconnected and maybe you don't have those financial resources. It can be extremely isolating. And, you know, I like to tell people just just know for what it's worth, you're not alone. You're not the only one going through this and there there are resources out there. And there's other people to connect with, you know, share, share your story and, and let, uh, you know, let the person with the diagnosis, let them be a big part of the team too. Dad keeps telling me that it's never, keeps showing me really that it's never too late uh, to help other people. And th that's inspiring me to just kind of continue this journey uh, the best I can myself. You are helping a lot of people. And, and one of the reasons I was anxious to talk to you, 
Uh, yeah, I love this space. I, Growing Boulder wants to do all they can to help caregivers. And we spent a lot of time thinking about, you know, where is our voice in this space? And obviously we can't offer anything, you know, from a clinical space. But but, but mm-hmm. what we can do, because I believe this emphatically, is we can help share the message that caregiving can be a blessing. It can be mm. one of life's greatest blessings. Yes, it's difficult, but talk to us about how maybe your relationship has changed and, and grow, grown stronger because of this new relationship. Yeah, you know, like I said, Mark, I mean, when, when this diagnosis came about, um, I, I had this initial scramble. Looking back, it was a scramble to grasp for some degree of control over the uncontrollable. And uh, for me, that that brought on a lot of, of anxiety, um, really, and to me, even moments, you know, that, that probably would be categorized as a, as a panic attack. It was it was really, really hard. And I had to grow into that role of, of feeling like I was ready for it, feeling like, you know, OK, I've, you know, uh, father, son, we all know that role and we all expect it to change gradually over time. You know, I kind of realized this change is coming faster than I thought. And and I need to be a leader here, right? I need to take on something that I don't feel ready for. And I really need to be an adult. Uh, the, you know, you're going along in life. I have my own kids, you know, whatever house job, these things that you think you're an adult. And, and I just realized now I really need to grow up and, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm still trying to do that. It's not always easy. I continue to have my own, uh, lows and, and, uh, and days that, that do feel better. Uh, but it's, it's pushed me that swampland of despair has, has pushed me to grow. Uh, and like I said, I would also say, you know, just, um, communicating new, new ways of new ways of, uh, communicating, whether it's different words, different forms of, of, um, of touch, different forms of, um, you know, what do we talk about and not talk about as, as far as the future plans, um, that may or may not generate anxiety, um, you know, I'm kind of learning all those things and I, and I'm reaching out for professional help there, uh, as well. You know, we were, we've worked with a service called elder care counseling and, and they've been super helpful. You know, I, like, we all got to realize like, Hey, I'm not the expert at this, but some people are, you know, let's, let's learn, let's keep, keep reading, keep growing. And, and if we can, it is, it's so hard and it's so sad. And at times, if we think, how can I be creative with this? sometimes we can we can pull in uh you know something a little better out of our out of ourselves and out of what we're doing well that's travis macy talking about his father's fight against alzheimer's disease and coming up more from travis as he explains how it's affected his entire family and his father We'll talk to Mark about how he's doing his best to live his life despite his disease. That's next on Growing Boulder. Stay connected to Growing Boulder for daily doses of hope, inspiration, and possibility. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for our latest stories and motivational pictures. Back to Growing Bolder, I'm Bill Schaefer, and Mark Middleton right now is in the middle of a heartfelt conversation with a father and son who are used to facing extreme physical challenges, 
but now must face their most difficult yet. So let's get right back into it with Mark. We're talking with uh, Travis uh, and Mark Macy, uh, Mace, as his friends call him, in their own right, individually, both of them, uh, you know, highly celebrated, accomplished uh, endurance and adventure racers. And, you know, as we've noted, Mark was diagnosed in 2018 with early onset Alzheimer's, totally flipped their lives upside down. But folks, they are leaning into it and, and doing a lot of good. Uh, they've written a book that's called A Mile at a Time. And, and Mace, one of the things I love about the book is that uh, it, it shares some of the excerpts from your journal uh, that uh, you have written for years. And I know some of those early excerpts, maybe the first one after you got diagnosed, uh, you were not pleased with the, with the <laughs> diagnosis. Can you tell us a little bit about what you wrote in your journal that day or that week? Well, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was something like, uh, I don't know, I've, as I recall, the doctor said something like, I only had a short time to live. And, and uh, I told him it was bullshit. I don't care what he says, and maybe I shouldn't have said that, but that's the way it was. I think you remembered it perfectly. In a way, guys, and, and Mace, let me ask you first. Life is so funny. It takes an unbelievable amount of persistence, an ability to adapt, to accommodate, to overcome, to be successful in the type of racing that you do, uh, it seems like it's the exact same skill set that requires you to be successful in the challenge that you're facing now. Uh, has it helped you, your ability to understand that obstacles are not the end of the road, but you got to figure out a way to get around them? Mace, do you think your experience as an adventure racer is helping you face the challenges you have today? Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know how to answer that question. Uh, <laughs> I got this Alzheimer's thing, you know. <laughs> You're doing great. Yeah, you know, yeah, okay. you, are, you are on point today, my friend. I didn't know what it, to expect. It know? reminds me, Dad, maybe a lesson. You want to tell him your tattoo, Dad? Can you, uh, can you, so Dad got his first, this, here's a growing boulder thing, man. Age 67, get your first tattoo. That's what Dad did last <laughs> year. The tattoo says it's all good training. And uh, d dad for decades has been a, a man of, of many sayings. It's all good training. Keep the faith, keep hammering, uh, you know, this kind of stuff. That was like the, that was the music of my life uh, growing up. And so dad decided to get that uh, on his arm, you know, and it's been a great reminder, huh, dad, for, for him to look down and obviously it gets, gets harder to, to read when you have Alzheimer's, but, you know, having a, a reminder like that of, um, Hey, it's all good training. You're going through something hard and and it is hard, but if you see it as good training, it, it can help you for the future. And, uh, you know, we've kind of, we, we kind of discovered dad, what we've been training for all this time, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I tell you, know. you know, I, I think I'm a lucky guy. You know, I've got a great family. I got Travis. I got Travis's family. I got the rest of our little grandkids and my other kids and, and, you know, I'm perfectly happy. You know, I'm sorry you got Alzheimer's, but I got it made. And, and, and I'll be happy for the rest of my life. I know it. Has the Alzheimer's affected you 
other than the obvious ways in a race in terms of your determination? Because I've seen some of the videos of you uh, and, and you just keep on keeping on. Uh, do you have the same ability to kind of flip the switch and just go into that zone that I know you have to get into to, you know, to, to, to keep pressing forward? Has that become harder for you on your daily runs or how is it how has it affected what you do physically? Um, nothing's been affected my ability to do what I do. I just keep on doing it. Yeah. You know, one interesting thing I've seen, Mark, is, and this goes back to the advice on staying engaged. And again, I'm not a doctor or anything either, but I'm just finding that if you can help someone stay engaged doing their thing, whatever that is for dad, that's running out in the woods. For most people, it's probably something else. And that engagement is, it's going to look different than it used to, which is okay. But man, when that engagement occurs, I'm finding that's actually where, where dad truly is comfortable, right? You know, things get harder in daily life when you're looking at numbers, when you're looking at logistics, right? You know, what are we doing tomorrow? Uh, You know, what are the plans coming up? Those, Those things are really hard with Alzheimer's, but when you get in that, that simple and familiar setting of, of doing the thing, that someone wants to be engaged with, that's actually where it's really comfortable. You know, our, our, our race this year in Leadville, there was, there was some anxiety about what's the course, where are we going? You know, how far is it? But I tell you what, Mark, man, once that gun went off, we're just two guys out doing a running race and it was, it was great and it's simple and you just keep going. You mentioned Travis, the Alzheimer's association and others. And and as I said earlier, you guys are doing something that nobody uh, ever has or nobody expected you to do. I, I would imagine They've got to be thrilled with what you're doing, the message that you're sending, the destigmatization that you guys uh, are, are creating for them. What kind of reaction have you gotten from the Alzheimer's community uh, as a whole? Yeah, it's you know it's been a good a good team. I mean, and and it's mutual as well because uh, you know, like I said, I've realized my mom has realized my my siblings like we need this too. We need a team. We need to be around other people who are going through the challenge, walking the road and, and hopefully also making the most of it. And it's also been great. You know, they've given dad some opportunities uh, to, to speak. I think he's mom and dad are going to some other Alzheimer's association dinner or something again. And I think dad's going to do a little talk tonight. And that's, that's great. It's, it's great to have something on your agenda and on your schedule and to, and to know that, that maybe, uh, maybe you're helping someone. I can't tell you how much I appreciate the Alzheimer's Association. You know, there's a lot of people and those people are doing the best to help people like me. And I'll never forgive them for it. As a matter of fact, we're going to have a meeting tonight and and I can't wait to tell them thank you very much to their face. I want I want them to know how much I, I love them for what they're doing for me and everybody else. And I know they're going to be moved to hear that, Mason. Since we now know that you're going to make a little bit of a presentation tonight, can can, can you give us kind of like the elevator pitch? Uh, what are you going to say? What's what's the takeaway? What's the moral uh, of, of the Mace Macy story? Well, it's basically what I said before. You know, I, I'm a happy guy. I'm very happy. You know, let me go back to my wife again, Pam. I mean, she's she's saving me. I mean, she's she's watching me all the time and taking care of me and and I'll, I'll never be able to thank her enough for that anything you want to say to to your alzheimer's brother and sisters out there dad 
Well, yeah, I, I hope the best for all my brothers and sisters with Alzheimer's and, and I, I'll do anything I can for them. And I know they'll do the same for me and, and we'll all keep at it. If, if one of these days, Alzheimer's is going to be gone and, and we'll all be happy for it. So. Well, we're all grateful for what you guys do. And Travis, in your book, and I, and I hope I get this right, you write that this is powerlessness by definition. Fate is locked in. Will is meaningless, which leaves what? Despair, self-pity, preemptive grief. Is there really nothing more than the long, slow goodbye? How do you make it to the end of a dark tunnel that doesn't end? Uh, and the answer I'm guessing is the title of your book. Uh, I, I love a book in which the title, you know, is the moral of the story, one mile at a time. Um, is that what the title is all about? Yeah, it is. You just, you know, when when you're in that that low place, a lot of times the only way out is is to just keep going um, and and to keep the faith in yourself that you can make it through. To ask for help, to accept help, to give help. I I think that's again. That's huge. You know, it, it has to be um, a team approach. And if, if you're a caregiver out there and you're thinking, you know, oh, you know, handling this on my own or I can take it myself or I don't want to burden people by asking for help. You know, I tell you what, people want to help. Right. We, we are a social species and it feels good to help someone. So give that give them that opportunity to help and, and to be part of your team. And yeah, just keep, keep taking it a mile at a time. And, and just because one mile on the journey was terrible and horrible, uh, doesn't mean the next one is going to be worse. And in fact, it, it, it might be a lot better. Amen, brother. So let me ask you, because I asked Mason, you know, you can take this outside of Alzheimer's, you can take this outside of uh, adventure and, and, and eco challenges, but uh, you've lived an interesting life. You've been successful. You're nimble, obviously. You know, what, what have you learned about life in general from your journey, Travis? What's the moral <laughs> of the story? Oh, man. Boy, I've, I've learned a lot. Like I said, I feel like in the last four years, uh, you know, I've, I've been forced to become an adult. And, and one of those, one of the takeaways is just I think a lot of us who who like these uh, endurance sports were kind of naturally extreme people, right? You know, either I'm 300% in or or I'm totally out or something is good or something's bad. I'm just realizing there's a lot more gray in life, right? You know, th things still can be really good if you're doing the race that, that you used to win or you used to be on the podium and now you're middle of the pack, you know? That's that's fine. Keep on going as fast as you can, as slow as you must. I embrace that uncertainty. Embrace that that gray area, and just uh, keep making the most of it. You know, as a team. Mace, you have a son that is filled with wisdom. You've got to be proud of Travis. <laughs> I absolutely. You know, I listen to this stuff, and I, and I can't believe that Travis is about ten times smarter than I am. Than I am. <laughs> You know, and he's he's eloquent, and man, where to go, Trav? Hey, don't kid Thanks, yourself. Ben. Got don't to learn from yourself. one of the best. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say it's obvious where it all came from, Mace. Don't kid yourself. You, you know, guys, this is this has been real. Thank you so much, Trav or Mace. Let's give you the final word here. Give us some advice. What should we all do today? Keep faith. Don't quit. Very simple.
Keep the faith and don't quit. Doesn't get any better than that. Uh, uh, guys, thank you so much. And, and, and folks, learn more. Please check it out. TravisMacy.com. Subscribe to their podcast, The Travis Macy Show. It, it is very, very inspiring uh, and very, very uplifting. And, you know, it's uh, these guys uh, have voices that, that, that our culture, our society needs to hear now more than ever. So, guys, thank you so much. Uh, it's been a pleasure to, uh, to help share your story and learn more about it. Thank Thanks, you Mark. very much. Thank you. Very nice talking to you. Yep. An honor to be here with, uh, with you in the audience. I, I love what you guys are doing and keep on growing bolder. Up next, how he turned an ordinary fruit stand into a must-see destination. It's what can happen when you make your passion your lifestyle. That's next on Growing Bolder. Sign up for the Growing Boulder Insider Newsletter, delivered to your inbox every week. Be the first to see our latest interviews, stories, and tips for making each day count. Sign up today at growingbolder.com. Miss an episode of Growing Boulder Radio? Subscribe to our podcast and get it on your mobile device. Details at growingbolder.com slash podcasts. This is Growing Boulder. I'm Mark Middleton, and we're going to show you that if you find a way to follow your passion in life, no matter what it is, you never know how it might take root and eventually flourish, even if your passion is something as simple as selling fruit. Here's Bill. In Homestead, Florida, just outside of Everglades National Park, is a fruit stand that somehow has become a tourist destination. And it's not just for the big, bright sunflowers. It's not just for the one-of-a-kind milkshakes, which, by the way, come in 32 exotic tropical fruit flavors. And it's not even just the animals, the goats and the ducks and the tortoises that you can hang with out back. People come because it's a relic, a trip back in time to a simpler, friendlier place. And they also come because, as the sign says, Robert is here as he has been for an astonishing 62 years. I tell people I never grew up and left, and I'm still a kid. You know, I still haven't grown up. Robert Melling has never had to go far to get to work. He sells his fruit right alongside the family farm, just as he's done since he was six years old when his father, who struggled to sell cucumbers, thought maybe a cute kid like Robert just might draw some business. So one day he put his little fat six-year-old son on the corner, right close to where that A-frame sign is on the other side of the sunflowers. I was right close to the road, and I sat there all day long. It was the second Saturday of November, 1959. Nobody stopped, not one customer. But the next day, his father added a sign that says... Robert is here. For whatever reason, it did the trick. In just a couple of hours, Robert sold out. The six-year-old loved it, and it wasn't long before the little salesman captured the hearts and the business of everyone around. By the time he was a teenager, Robert was a savvy businessman, profiting from a farmer next door. I was doing about 50000 a year buying avocados from him and selling them to a couple of little grocery stores in town. And 
you know, here I'm in, I'm a senior in high school, but I'm already in business. I know, I know what I'm doing. Not only does Robert know what he's doing, he's still doing it. After 62 years, he still can sell. This is a deal that makes my place uh, probably a game breaker for most people's when you go shopping. This is an unusual site right here. We grow guanabana, but not usually this big. They usually like those over there, or these over here. This is the most magnificent piece of fruit, taste-wise, that any other fruit is. It's just incredible. It's one of the reasons he draws so many customers. Melling carries fruits you just won't find at most supermarkets. We got the lychees in the season now. They come in season just a couple weeks out of the year, and they're just uh, magnificent. Break, break the, break the skin. And this particular variety is the best lychee of all. You squeeze the bottom, and you catch the fruit. There is a seed in there. It's a tiny seed. Well, yeah, usually have a great big seed, and it takes up all the room for the fruit. Yeah, that's a tiny little seed. Mame is like a flan or a cheesecake, yeah. or a real rich, fruity-tasting pumpkin pie. You'll see a mango or two here. Uh, mango is my favorite fruit, even though this is the best-tasting fruit. But I just love to eat mangoes. Over six decades, Melling has learned a lot about fruit. But there's something more important that we can learn from him. It's what he believes is the key to success, not just in the fruit business, but any business, even life itself. He says it all boils down to three very important things. Honesty, integrity, and hard work. That's, I don't care what you're doing. I don't care what you've got going on. If you're a businessman, if you're, if you're just someone getting married, if you use that philosophy in your marriage or with a friendship, honesty, integrity, and hard work. You can be honest every day. You can say what you're going to do and have the integrity to do it. And you can work hard the very first day of your work. But if you can ever get to own your own store, own your own place, Whatever you work for your whole life will have value at the end of your life when you die and your kids got it, or you can sell it and add more value to whatever you did, you know, because if you, if you own your own farm, you own your own barbershop, own your own garbage truck, that's the three plus. Honesty, integrity, and hard work. And there's one other thing that's helped. He believes just being around for 62 years has given him the wisdom to make his stand better and better despite all kinds of competition. A lot of these new places are absolutely gorgeous and they're fun, but they're not a little different fun than what we have. You know, and that's okay. You know, everybody has to have their, their niche. And I guess we just grew into our niche just, be, just by growing old. <laughs> yeah. If you want to visit it, and you really should, Robert's fruit stand is in Homestead, Florida. And he didn't, as he said, just grow into his niche by growing old. He created his niche by putting his heart and his soul into his produce. It's his passion for produce, his love for his job that helped him create an atmosphere that his customers can actually feel, something that keeps them coming back again and again. Yes, 
Robert is here, and he is making a difference. Just an interesting, fascinating guy. And it just goes to show it doesn't really matter what you do. There are life lessons we can all learn, whether you're running a fruit stand or whether you happen to be the greatest college basketball coach in history. It's why every once in a while we like to dig back and learn from a growing Boulder classic. This one from the year 2007 is when legendary coach John Wooden came on Growing Boulder to coach us all on how to be a winner at life. Well, I've always uh, considered myself as a teacher, and that's all a coach is, anything. You're just teaching the sport, and you still have to follow the laws of learning, and uh, you have to be interested and concerned about those that are under your supervision, whether they're English students or ball players or whatever they might be. Well, you know, we, we've heard people tell us, and I think we've observed ourselves, that it's nearly impossible these days to be a really, really great athlete if you don't have a, a great coach. And, and you mentioned that you're a teacher. Why is it that some of us live up to our potential and others of us do not? Uh, uh, w- w- did you ever meet a player that you couldn't get to, that you couldn't turn around? <laughs> well, you're guessing on, on that, always guessing, and you don't know. You have some that don't live up to your expectations, but maybe your expectations were too high. As long as you can keep improving to some degree, uh, anyone that you have under your supervision I think that you can feel good about it, but uh, some uh, will improve to a greater degree uh, than others. I've had been some surprises of, of some that have just amazed me about the improvement they made, and uh, uh, but not all do that. We've just entered the uh, NBA free agent signing period. What do you think about NBA salaries today? Are they excessive? Uh, not for the individuals. I think it's excessive for the people who pay it. <laughs> um, no, you can't blame the individuals for taking on what they get. I, Luke Walton, uh, son of Bill, who played for me, I just signed a, uh, for $30 million for the next uh, six years, which is uh, pretty wonderful. But uh, salaries in many areas seem to be uh, out of line. Uh, coaches now making well over a million, some making two, three, four million dollars. And I've always said for collegiate coaches, uh, when I was teaching, and I said today, uh, that no coach in, in, in the collegiate area should be making more money than the president of the university, and I'm not sure they should be making more than the head of any department because really they're just the head of a department. And um, you, the, the answer to that is, you know, well, we bring in a lot of money. Well, I, I kind of feel that the uh, the English department and the science department and the math department, those I, I believe they bring in the students who keep the university going. Without them, you wouldn't have them to do the other. So... Uh, coaches don't like to hear me say that, but I have felt that, and I felt it when I uh, was uh, involved myself. Speaking of keeping things going, Coach, are you surprised at the age of 96 you got so much gas left in the tank? <laughs> well, I'm not sure whether I have or not, but no, I, I never expected to be around this long, not at all. And I don't think anyone has a, an expectancy to do that, and I'm always asked why I, I, I uh, feel it's responsible for my being around this long, and I, you know, facetiously say, well, you know, I've never, never used alcohol, which is true. And uh, I did smoke a little bit in World War II when I was in the Navy, but I cut that out. And But I said that's a little facetious, but I really think that uh, I, through, I believe the teaching of my father from my early years, that I have no fear of things. I never worried about uh, losing a job, and, and I think that I've been able to accept, uh, uh, you know, uh, the the peaks and the valleys uh, the same way and not let either one of them get to me. 
Coach, we've got just a minute left. You created your Pyramid of Success uh, 60 years ago, a collection of profound thoughts still relevant today. What key characteristics do all successful people share? Well, I think the cornerstones of the pyramid are industrious and enthusiasm. You have to work hard and you have to enjoy what you're doing. If you don't enjoy what you're doing, there's no way that you can force yourself to work as hard as you're capable of doing. And I think one should never try to be better than someone else, but one should learn from others because you never know a thing you don't learn from somebody else. And one other which you have complete control is never cease trying to do the best you can do at whatever you're doing. Don't try to be better than somebody else. Just try to be the best you can be. And I try to teach my players that that's what I expected. Let's not worry about the score. Let's that score be a byproduct of our preparation to execute near the level of our own particular competency. Priceless and timeless wisdom from a brilliant mind that is just as relevant to this day. John Wooden passed away at the age of 99 back in 2010, but there is still so much we can learn from him. A Growing Boulder classic interview with one of the all-time greats, legendary college basketball coach John Wooden. All right, up next, have you ever had doubts as to whether you could accomplish something? Record-setting, long-distance swimmer Diana Nyad has a special message just for you. This is Growing Boulder. Subscribe to Growing Boulder magazine, now with more information, articles, and photos than ever before. This quarterly publication is unlike any other, filled with the kind of inspiration you need to live your life to the fullest. More information at growingbolder.com slash subscribe. Miss an episode of Growing Boulder Radio? Subscribe to our podcast and get it on your mobile device. Details at growingbolder.com slash podcasts. My guards stood hard when abstract threats to noble, to neglect. Welcome back to Growing Boulder, which we humbly submit has to be one of the most unique programs anywhere because it's all about breaking the ageist stereotypes to realize what's possible for all of us as we get older. You know, most of the time we're kind of a lone voice out there, but Diana Nyad gets it, and she spent decades trying to prove it. Her dream was to become the first person ever to swim from Cuba to Florida without the aid of a shark cage. It took her five tries over 35 years before she finally did it at the age of 64. Now in her 70s, she was part of Growing Boulder's launch pad to What's Next, and her message hits home for all of us. Don't tell me I shouldn't be able to do it, that I can't do it at this age. And, um, you know, who's to say that at age 80 I couldn't do something of that ilk? I don't know yet, but I, I judge for myself. I feel what I feel instead of somebody else telling me what my limitations are. And we can do the same in our lives. Everybody can do the same. Um, I, I, I think that, you know, I, I've met so many people, like you just hear the echo in my ears saying, oh, oh, I could never do that. And I say to them, of course you could. Of course, I could never run a marathon. If you wanted to, you could. You know, it might not be good for your knees, but, but, you, but just because you don't think that's, that's in, in your, you know, you, you even have the right to do it. That's what a lot of people feel like. You know, I, sh- I, I couldn't go to medical school. My father always told me I'm not smart enough for that. Well, you know, forget your freaking father out of your life then and go to medical school. People should decide for themselves, not in a rebellious way, not in an angry way, but just in a real way. What, get real. What can you do? A lot more than you think. So how did she do it? Well, folks, it's really a simple formula. You dream, you believe, 
and you persist. And when people like Diane and I are out there refusing to accept limitations and are accomplishing things that nobody thought was possible, that helps us all believe that we're capable of doing the same at any age. An incredible, empowering message. And it sounds, Mark, like a great launching point for our next item on the Growing Boulder menu, which is On My Mind with Mark. So what is on your mind today? Well, you know, I I moderated a panel this past week, Bill, at a recent uh, Us Against Alzheimer's National Summit. It's it's the biggest national conference. It's a who's who of everybody involved in the movement. And and on the panel that I moderated was Dr. Karen Hacker, who's the director of the CDC uh, National Center for Chronic Disease Prevention, a guy named Dr. Rock Nianogo, who is a big-time researcher at the Fielding School of Public Health at UCLA, and Susan Bennett who's the executive director of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. And and the reason this is on my mind, because what's happened in the past year is really amazing. Two years ago, three years ago, all of these people, the only thing they were talking about is, is there going to be some sort of medicine available, some sort of cure for Alzheimer's? Now there's been a huge pivot, 180 degrees, and all they are talking about is prevention. And the reason they're talking about it, the same thing you and I talk about all the time, is that research in the past year has shown definitively that Alzheimer's is very much subject to the lifestyle choices we make in the same way that diabetes is, that obesity is, that hypertension is. All of these things can be controlled by the lifestyle choices that we make. And now Alzheimer's is at the top of this list. And this is incredibly important uh, because it's a public health crisis. There's going to be 14 million people diagnosed with Alzheimer's by 2050. And here, Bill, And I want you to weigh in on this because I know you stay active all the time. But women and communities of color bear a disproportionate risk when it comes to Alzheimer's. Two-thirds of all Alzheimer's cases almost uh, are, are now women. And if we can modify our lifestyle, modifiable risk factors are what they call it. If we can get better sleep, if we can eat better, if we can stay active, if we can reduce our stress, here's what's going to happen. Within the next decade, there will be 1.2 million fewer people living with Alzheimer's. And if we made these choices, if we made these changes two years ago, there'd be 500,000 people less that are suffering from Alzheimer's today. 500,000 of our family and friends wouldn't have it if they made these simple lifestyle modifications. Yeah, we, we keep waiting, Mark. We keep waiting for everything to come out in a pill. When we have the ability to control to a great degree our own futures by what we do today. And how interesting that those three giants of academia studying Alzheimer's had you join them on the panel. Well, you know, it was fun to be there, and I was just honored to, to kind of keep the conversation going. But it, but it is cool, Bill, because we've talked about this. We've learned this from the people, the ordinary people living extraordinary lives that we talk to. And the moral of the story, folks, is the lifestyle choices that you make each and every day to a large extent control your destiny, both health-wise and happiness-wise. So get off the couch and get going. The Growing Boulder Radio Show is a production of Growing Boulder, LLC, all rights reserved. This program was recorded at Growing Boulder Studios in Orlando and is available as a weekly podcast on NPR One, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. It is written and produced by Jill Middleton, Mark Middleton, and Bill Schaefer. Technical director is Jason Morrow. Production manager is Michael Nannis. Chief audio engineer is Mac Dula. And our most important team member, you. 
Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to keep growing bolder every day.